Hi, and thank you for listening in to the New Song Podcast from this week's service. You are welcome and encouraged to join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in person. And for more information on how to get involved with New Song, go to newsonglouisville.org and follow us on social media. And now for today's message. Hey, we are in part eight of a series we're calling Indestructible Joy. Everybody say Indestructible Joy. All right, we've been in it now going on eight weeks. Anybody felt any challenges to your joy level in the last eight weeks? Yes. Definitely I have, but thank God for indestructible joy because it's not joy that just comes with the moment or the circumstance or the feeling of happiness. It's something so much deeper. It's really about Jesus being secure on the throne of your heart and you living out of the security of Jesus having you in the very palm of his hand. Amen? Amen. How many of you think Christians today should be known, should be known by their joy? Amen? Absolutely they should. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our what? Hey, if we're not being known for our joy, we must not be walking in our strength. So, we want to talk about indestructible joy. 142 verses in the book of Philippians. In every seven verses, Paul is using the word joy, rejoice, or rejoicing. Every seven words. Can you imagine if you were rejoicing in God every seven words you said? Can you imagine how your vocabulary would change literally? I mean, you'd be talking and you'd be saying, glory to God. And, you know, I went to McDonald's and praise the Lord. And, you know, it was, was kind of cloudy yesterday, but God is good. And, you know, I uh, had a flat tire on the way to work, but Jesus is Lord. And, uh, you know, uh, the boss got on me, but God is taking care of me. And, uh, you know, it rained yesterday afternoon. I forgot my umbrella, but, but I'm rejoicing in the Lord because of his goodness. Can you imagine if every seven words... That's kind of how Paul's vocabulary developed, right? We're talking about a guy who's sitting in the Mamertine prison in Rome. You can go and visit there today, by the way. Historically, it's there, uh, the very prison that he's sitting in as he writes this book to the church at Philippi. It's not, a, it's not a cushy prison. It's not one of those, okay? We have them today, right? Or we hear about them. I've not been to one, thank God. But uh, we have those cushy prisons, right, where you got workout centers and you got good meals. This isn't one of those places. This is actually more adequately described as a dungeon where the food, if you got any, was lowered down through a hole. Uh, it's a dark, dank, wet um, miserable place and yet every seven words joy rejoicing rejoice because Paul has an indestructible joy because Jesus is firmly and securely on the throne of his heart and nothing 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 can shape that indestructible joy means having a joy no matter what happens in your life you continue to trust and praise God knowing that God And no other circumstance has the final word over your life. Man, I rejoice with you guys. I'm so happy to hear that for Elizabeth. Such a a sweet gal. By the way, today we're ordaining three very special people. 
We've got some guests here in the house for that special occasion, and uh, it's a significant moment for each of them. Uh, Let me have them stand quickly, and we're going to get to our ordination at the end of the service, but let me have Jeff Stanley stand, Jennifer Dupin stand, and Don Hodge stand, if you guys would, please. Let's give them all three a hand. I'm only counting two out of three. We've lost one. We, we had her before the service. What happened? Anyway, uh, we'll find Dawn, we promise, before the end of the service. We're so proud of these three. This is a significant moment that literally has taken a number of years to get to this point. This didn't happen overnight. Ordination is all about the acknowledgement, the affirmation of those around you that you are appointed and called by God and you have lived that out and proven that by your Christ-like character and your life of service to the Lord himself. So at the end today of our time, we're going to have a a, a really wonderful prayer time over these three as we anoint them and ordain them as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But first, and it just so worked out, God's always good, he's the master planner, amen, that we get to talk about Philippians chapter 2 today. I can't honestly think of a better passage for ordination than this one. Philippians chapter 2, because Jeff, Jen, and Dawn Your example, your example is Jesus Christ, no less than Jesus Christ. He set the example for you. It's his life that he lived that you're to emulate, that you're to imitate, that you are to follow, that you are to strive to be like. It's his glory that you're to serve for. He's the one that's called you, appointed you, and chosen you. In Philippians chapter 2, if there's one word that sums up these 11 verses we're going to look at today, it's the word humility. Would everybody just say that word with me, humility? Humility. I can't think of a, a more profound or important topic as we ordain three wonderful people today for the ministry that God has called them to. John Stott said this, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. When asked what the three most important aspects of following Jesus were, St. Augustine said this, humility, humility, humility. Listen, folks, let's just be honest. We all have pride in our lives. We all struggle with it to some degree or another, whether we like to admit it or not. If we have a hard time admitting it, that's pretty well proof of it. Amen? I'll never forget, I had a young man that I took to a a, a discipleship prayer appointment. And uh, this young man was struggling to find freedom in some particular areas of his life. And the counselor, the first thing he did was he gave him an assessment on pride. 
And I'll never forget my friend sat there and he says, oh, this should be a cinch. I don't have any problems with pride. Uh, I got this. This is no big deal. He took the assessment. I think there was 15 questions, something like that. Um, He had pride on all 15. Let me just say that. And you might have too. You might have thought you were over yourself, so to speak, and conquered that. But I think all of us deal with it. And we probably deal with it ongoingly. The big issue is not, do you have pride in your life? The big issue is, are you allowing God to do something about your pride? Are you allowing God to deal with your heart? Because see, ultimately, the humility of Jesus is a non-negotiable character trait for every one of us. This, This isn't one of those pick and choose things. God wants to root out pride and develop humility in every one of us. This message is not just for our ordination candidates. It's for all of us in the room today, especially me. I'm just going to say that because I, I, I know I need it as much as anybody in the room. God wants to root out pride and develop humility in us, just like the humility that was found in the life of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself or herself. Let each of you look look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, your word is alive and it's powerful. And it's meant to go down literally into the deep parts of us and divide out those things that are pleasing to you from those things that are not. Lord, let your your word penetrate each of our hearts today and have your way in us. Root out those things of pride and develop in us, Lord, a true humility that honors and glorifies you and that puts others ahead of ourselves. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 <clears throat> I love this quote. Um, I have it for you, ordination candidates today. From Pastor Jack Hayford, one of my spiritual heroes. He said these words, Jeff and Jen and Dawn, Rule with the heart of a servant and serve with the heart of a king. This is how Jesus used his authority. Thank you, Lord, for your example to us. It's interesting in those first few verses of Philippians chapter 2, 
Paul appeals to us um, to be like-minded, like-minded, if you will, with Jesus himself. He's the goal. Um, He talks about encouragement, comfort, fellowship, affection, and mercy. Romans chapter 8, at the end of the chapter, Paul says that God wants, this is God's will, this is God's desire, okay, for each of our lives that we would be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, so that Jesus can be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, God's plan and purpose for each of us is to conform us to the image of Jesus so we can reflect him truly, authentically to those in the world around us. God wants all of us to be shaped like Jesus, his son, to be like-minded with him. He says, if you've received any encouragement from Jesus, then be like that for others. If you've received any comfort from knowing Jesus, then be that comfort to others. If you've received any fellowship with Jesus, then fellowship with others. If you've received any affection or love, then be that love to others. If you've received any mercy from Jesus, be that mercy to others. Imitate Jesus in all these ways. And then he gives an instruction against selfishness. Selfish ambition, conceit, vainglory, or you might say vainglory actually just means empty glory. There's really nothing there. Be on your guard against selfish promotion, he's saying. It's, it's empty if we promote ourselves rather than promote the Lord. He's really talking about our heart motivations here. Let Jesus be the prime example of all you do. He encourages us toward humility by esteeming others better than ourselves. Don't just look out for your own interests. That's all of us. That's all of us, our default pattern, right? We're all pretty good at looking out for our own interests. He's saying, go beyond that. Look out for the interests of others. If we're honest here this morning, these, these things that Paul's talking about, that the Word of God is instructing us on, these are completely contrary to the ways of the world that we live in and where the church has drifted away from the influence of Scripture toward the influence of culture. We've lost sight of these things at times. And I would say to us, we really all need to have a little checkup. Are we living as Christ? Are we following his example? Or are we living as we think is right, putting our own interests above those of others, above those of the Lord himself? We start looking, holding the light of Scripture up before us as a mirror Honestly, at times it can get a little uncomfortable because it's challenging us to live like and to look like and to be like Christ. While appealing to us and encouraging our like minds Paul's outlining a, a portrait of Christ's life and example of humility. And we go on in Philippians 2 to verse 5 through 8. He says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus 
who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant. Well, there's an important word. If you remember our series, you know that's an important word to Paul and all followers of Christ. In coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to point of death, even death on the cross. I want to give you this morning five facets of Jesus' humility that are clearly laid out here for us to consider, for us to pray about, for us to look at, for us to ask God to help us with. The first one is this, as God, Jesus didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, I want you to think about this, and obviously this applies to him and him alone, but Jesus didn't cling to the advantages of his status, his own divine privileges, his own divine power, his own divine prerogatives, his own prestige. He, he didn't cling to it. Read the red. Read the red in your Bible. Read the Gospels. Look at it. There was never, there was never in Jesus' life or ministry this kind of attitude that he displayed. Hey, I'm God and I've got this. You know, I've got rights. I've got privileges. I've got power to do whatever I want on this earth. Jesus never does that. You can't find that anywhere in the New Testament. Jesus never pulls privilege. He lives a truly humble life. What is humility, by the way? Let's try to define it for you a couple of different ways this morning. Our first definition, and the one a little more lengthy, is humility is entirely trusting and depending on God. In every aspect of life, knowing our place is creation and submitting to God as creator. Neil Anderson's version, and I love this one, it's just so short and sweet, confidence properly placed. That's what humility is. Jesus placed his confidence fully, completely, totally in God the Father. I'm going to fully trust God. I'm going to fully depend on him for the outcome. No, humility means no more self-promotion, no more pushing your way forward, no more forcing your way in. It means trusting God and depending on him. It's so important when we read this and we look at this passage, who he was who Jesus was as God in human flesh, listen to this, did not get in the way of him depending on and submitting to the Father in every aspect of his life on earth. This is, this is that miracle and that beauty of the incarnation. It's kind of maybe above us in some ways, but I want you to think about it, right? Who he was as God in the human flesh didn't get in the way of him depending on and submitting to the Father in every aspect of his life on earth. He was setting an example for us, walking in what I like to call profound humility. You don't ever see Jesus going, hey, Father, I got this one. Hey, Dad, don't worry, I got it. You don't ever see him doing that. 
You don't ever see him doing that. He constantly looks to the Father, and Scripture says, does what the Father shows him. Let me show it to you. John chapter 5, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Wow. This is what living in humility looks like. I want you to think about it with me for a minute. This is what living in humility looks truly looks like trusting God completely confidence properly placed the creation fully trusting and fully depending on the creator when we get in trouble always 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 when we get in trouble is when we get out from under that when we start doing our own thing, start trusting in our own power, start trusting in our own intellect, start making our own plans, start doing our own thing instead of putting our confidence in him. How many of you hear me? Well, let's continue in Philippians here and look at something. Philippians 3. Because Paul, he's, he's, he's an interesting one, right? He learned the lesson. He learned the lesson of Philippians 2, of what Jesus did for us. Paul learned not to cling to his past prestige, his pedigree, his power, any of those things that he'd earned in his own flesh through his own efforts. He learned not to cling to them, just as Jesus wasn't clinging to his privilege, but laid his life down in humility. Philippians 3, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. I'm going to ask you a little quiz question here. See how many of you are familiar with the old King James. Anybody ever used to read the old King James? really interesting, isn't it? Because uh, the old King James translated this last line a little differently. Instead of say, and count them as rubbish, the old King James used a different word. Anybody want to guess what it was? Anybody want to offer a guess? Or are you too embarrassed in church to offer that guess? Because sometimes scripture gets a little unseemly. You know what I'm saying? Dung? Dung, 
So, okay, I'm going to paint a picture here. You just forgive me, okay? I'm kind of going out on a limb. But here's what Paul is saying. All those things that I did, all those accomplishments, all that prestige, all of that was nothing but a steamy pile. You never heard anybody use steamy pile in church before, have you? You have now. But that's what Scripture says. It was all just a steamy pile of you-know-what. That's all it was. We got to... I mean, Paul, Paul, he learned he abandoned prestige, pedigree, power. But he was glad to because he gained Christ. He counted all those things as a loss compared to knowing Christ. He, he didn't try to use who he was to be somebody in the kingdom of God. Paul realized that attitude and those things were actually hindrances to him knowing Jesus. It, it wasn't about him. See, he, he, couldn't just, he couldn't just reach in, flash his card of accomplishment and somehow impress God. Doesn't ever work that way. Doesn't ever work that way. You got to get rid of that mindset of your accomplishments to truly get to the place where you depend on God and you see the plan He has for you. This is about embracing His kingdom, His will, His plan. And let me just tell you, Sometimes our successes can be our greatest setbacks. 2nd thing we learn about Jesus, he made himself of no reputation and he emptied himself. He emptied himself. You you don't ever see Jesus going around in the gospels going, "Do you know who I am?" No, in fact, it's really interesting, right? In the Gospels, have you ever ever seen this? This always intrigues me. Jesus heals somebody, and then he tells them, by the way, don't tell them anything about me. Have you ever seen that, Bill, in Scripture? It's pretty interesting. Don't, Don't tell them anything about me. It's kind of funny. It's kind of ironic, right? It's kind of kind of interesting, you know? Because what, what ultimately happens, I think in every story in Scripture where he says, don't tell anything about me, don't, don't let them know about me, what happens? They go and they just tell everybody about him. Have you ever noticed that? And then at the end of his ministry, Jesus gives his greatest commission, go into all the world and tell everybody the gospel. And what do we do? We go silent. What an irony. There's still over 2 billion people, over 2 billion people waiting on this earth to hear the name Jesus. I'll never forget, I was a student at the University of Louisville, go cards. And, and a, friend of, a friend of mine, he and I put together this thing on campus and we had these bands and all these students came out. It was a really cool event. And I'm mingling through the crowd, sharing Jesus with all my fellow students. 
And I'll never forget the first time this happened to me here in the United States. I ran into a Chinese girl and I'm sharing Jesus with her and she had no idea who he was. I'm like, Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. You know, you know Jesus, right? Who? Who are you talking about? Well, Jesus. Never heard of him. Who is he? Jesus. It didn't help. It didn't help however I said it didn't help. She never heard of him. You believe there's two billion people? There's only eight billion people in the world today. That's one fourth of the people on the globe haven't heard about the greatest news of all, all of history. <laughs> Jesus made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. If you read the Gospels, you'll read words like this repeatedly used by him. I can't do it myself. Not, not my will. Not my, not my doctrine, not my words, not seeking my own glory, not operating in my own authority, not here because of myself. Remember this, Jesus resigned from doing his own anything for his own anything. Jesus became nothing so God could be everything in and through him. That's powerful stuff. Number three, he took the form of a bondservant, a slave, though he was the form of God. He took the form of a bondservant, a slave, though he was the form of God. I don't know if you remember this or not. This is, goes back several, uh, several weeks in our series. We talked about bondservant. Paul talked about bondservant at the beginning of the letter. And the definition of a bondservant is I willingly, voluntarily surrender my rights to my life out of my love for my master and his house. I'm his servant forever to do his will, no matter what that costs me. Jesus went from God to man, man to slave, where he becomes a servant of men. Watchman Nee said it like this, the Lord lowered himself twice, first in emptying himself of his deity and then in humbling himself in his humanity. Andrew Murray, who probably wrote the greatest book on humility out there, said Christ is the humility of God clothed in human nature. Matthew chapter 20 says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many have you ever noticed Jesus always wants to call us to himself? Jesus called them to himself. He's saying, follow my example. There's real life to be found here. Anyone who gives up his life for the sake of the kingdom <laughs> is going to gain so much more in the life to come. Anyone who loses his life for the sake of the things of this world, oh my goodness. 
There's this serious contrast that Jesus paints here in Matthew 20 where the Gentiles, they cling to power. They cling to privilege. They cling to prestige. They lead by lording over other people. And Jesus says those powerful words, yet it shall not be so among you. Want to be great? Be a servant. Want to be first? Be a slave. Want to imitate and follow Jesus? Then serve and give your life. Give your life for others. There's no substitute for that. Jesus is saying, watch me, follow me, do what I do. John Corson has a great little, a great little saying. I don't know if you've heard it before, but I'll throw it out to you this morning. It's a good one. How do you know if you're a servant? There's a very simple test. You'll know if you're a servant by how you react when other people treat you like one. I mean, some people, you know, Pastor, I want to be a servant. Oh, great, great. I got a good task for you. Do you mind taking out the trash? Do you mind cleaning the toilet? Do you mind doing that dirty thing over there? And boy, before you know it, that person's going, wait, 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 who do you think I am? Who do you think you're talking to? I thought you said you were a servant. We must have been mistaken. When I became a pastor, (laughs) so much of what I got trained in in the seminary had nothing to do with being a real life pastor. I remember my first few years in ministry, I was digging ditches. I was painting swimming pools. I was replacing lights. I was hauling massive loads of groceries down to the needy in the pouring rain. I was moving people from one house to another. I did anything and everything that was assigned to me. I didn't know any better. I got to seminary and I'm going, wait a minute, this isn't what they're teaching me to do. But that was real life ministry that I was being taught. Jesus humbled himself. It was his choice, an act of his will to cooperate with the Father's will. By the way, the the, the term humble yourself is used often in the Bible. It's such an important concept. And I want you to get it this morning because some of us, I don't know, we've got this weird thing. We, we create these weird little things in Christianity, right? They're like cliches that somehow gain traction and they're not necessarily the way Scripture approaches a subject. Sometimes we talk about, you know, well, I, you know, I guess if I've got pride, the Lord, the Lord will humble me. It's interesting because Scripture talks again and again about you humbling yourself. Don't get me wrong. God can humble you. I'm not sure you'll like it quite as much if he has to humble you. He's instructed you and I to humble ourselves. When's the last time you did anything to intentionally humble yourself? 
Scripture gives us lots of examples. Wow. Pharaoh, King Ammon, King Zedekiah. Let's see. Pharaoh refused to humble himself. And what happened to him? Not so good in the old Red Sea incident. King Ammon caused the nation trouble. God came in with great judgment. King Zedekiah, he refused to humble himself. It led to destruction. David, Ezra, Daniel, short list. We can make it much longer. These are men who accepted the call to humble themselves and did humble themselves before God. And guess what happened to them? It led to greatness, to exaltation, to promotion. Listen, you have to have a firm foundation in your life, quite honestly, to handle the blessings of God that'll come on your life. And that firm foundation, one of the cornerstones of that absolutely has to be humility or you'll crumble under the blessing. Second Chronicles, a verse that we use a lot, right? Sometimes we miss this part of the verse, I think. God tells us, if my people will humble themselves. What is it? What is... <laughs> What is humbling ourselves? Well, for sure, it's saying to God and meaning it with your heart, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, Lord. No ifs, ands, or buts. No negotiation. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. God's not your divine genie or your butler in a Bible, in, in a bottle, guys, or in the Bible either. <laughs> He's Lord. And you're supposed to be his servant. Andrew Murray says it this way. He says, um, humility is not a thing that will come as itself, but that it must be made the object of special desire, prayer, faith, and practice. In other words, you got to intentionally humble yourself. Empty yourself. Humbling ourselves starts with not grasping, not clinging to our power, our privilege, our prestige. It means instead of reacting, instead of blowing up, instead of getting upset, instead of retaliating, instead of, you know, when your spouse messes up, instead of correcting them and coming at them with power, who put them in their place, it means loving them and forgiving them. It means when your boss does something or someone does something that, that makes you feel perhaps like a servant instead of reacting and, and getting all, you know, kind of blown up and, and, and defending yourself, it means a kind note, a gentle word, a forgiving spirit, a loving heart emptying ourselves, literally not making ourselves, Jesus says, of any reputation. And then lastly, becoming obedient to the death of the cross. This is, this is ultimate humility. 
allowing, (laughs) Jesus allowed his innocent self to take the blame for our sin and to pay the price for our sin. He died to self. And dying to self must be worked out practically and not just understood intellectually, right? I mean, John the Baptist, he must increase. I must decrease. Andrew Murray says, our spiritual life will entirely depend upon our putting this grace first too and making humility the chief thing we admire in Jesus, the chief thing that we ask of him and the one thing for which we sacrifice all else. I mean, let, me just, let me just throw it out this way to you as we close today, okay? Things will never go wrong in your life because there's too much humility. Have you ever noticed that? But things will almost always go wrong in your life when there's too much pride. Oh, man, some guys, they start the race so well, right? Boy, they come out of the gates charging, hard charging. But you can just maybe sense there's a lot of pride there. And before you know it, and it won't take long, there's a fall. Things never go wrong because there's too much humility. How might you humble yourself? How might you die to yourself? And in Christ-like humility, start serving others like Jesus did. And it's so important, before you think humility just costs too much. You know, Pastor Jeff, this is really heavy and doesn't reward enough. Hmm. We talked a week or two ago about look to the Lord and remember the reward. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You, you know that passage, but did you know it, 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 it was preceded and, and the reason for it, the therefore is the humility? The humility is what set the, the standard, the, the, the pace, the... For this. And, 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 and before you think, well, that's Jesus. Let me just tell you what the New Testament goes on to say, right? Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. The Bible says promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. Promotion comes from the Lord. Humility ultimately leads to exaltation and honor. It's a promise from God.